and welcome to the Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show, talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. This week I'm talking to Danny Watson about her stunning landscapes. Danny turns these photographs into artworks that capture the essence of the scene that's in front of her. She started out as a professional tennis coach, and it was an unintentional, somewhat accidental career path which began with an introduction to DSLR camera course at Michael's Camera Store in Melbourne, which started her on her photography journey. After enrolling in a swag of new courses over the next few weeks to learn as much as she could about photography, Danny joined a few landscape photographers on a tour to the Great Ocean Road, and that really sparked the interest in landscape photography. After a chance meeting with Ken Duncan at the Langham Hotel, Danny decided to give up her former life as a tennis coach. She had a point of difference in her sporting career holding a degree, so she enrolled in a photography degree at RMIT University. She's worked with Ken Duncan, OAM, as his assistant, travelled with Ray Martin. We discuss how growing up on a farm has influenced her art, how and why she started her degree, along with a host of other topics. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Danny. Great to have you on the podcast. How are you going? Yeah, I'm very well. And yourself? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Uh, finally out of lockdown, which is nice. I managed to get out and shoot this weekend for, for the first time in 116 days. So. <laughs> oh, you're, you're lucky. I love lockdown so much that I left uh, New South Wales and the day that you guys came out of lockdown uh, was the day that I finished quarantine here in Victoria to be in further lockdown. So, yeah, so I feel like I'm the expert at lockdown from being in Victoria last year to New South Wales and now back in Victoria again. You sound like a glutton for punishment. <laughs> Absolutely. But it gives me time to get things done and work on my own work. So yeah, it's it's one of those things. I'm I'm not real it's I don't see it as a negative. It just gives me a bit more time. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Well, I'm uh, really pleased to have you on the show. Um, you know, I've been looking at some of your work uh recently and you know, very happy that you said yes to to, to coming on. Um I guess you know, what, uh, how, how would you describe your photography? Um, I would describe my photography as a work in progress. So I've, I've come out of uh, studying photography at a university level, so at RMIT, mm-hmm. and, and at RMIT I learnt a lot of different genres and and that I think has given me a good foundation to sort of, uh, take the next step within the industry but in terms of my own sort of style it's it's definitely a work in progress and and I do float between multiple genres and see how I can uh, combine genres together to create a style that's perhaps unique to me so um, I feel like it's a work in progress but it's definitely uh, my passion is landscape but I also do a lot of other type of photography as well so whether that be architecture portraiture uh whatever whatever it is that i'm i'm needed to do but passion definitely lies in in landscape right so i guess 
rewind be, be before RMIT and before you know formal education around photography. What what made you get into it? What made you pick up a camera? Where, when did you pick up your first camera? So I picked up a camera in mid 2016. So uh, prior to that, I worked as a professional tennis coach. So um, I was on court. Uh, seven days a week, pretty much uh, almost 365 days a year. And and it just became a point where I was burnt out and I needed a break. So in mid-2016, I decided I was going to take a break for uh, three months. And uh, three months within that time period, I uh, decided that I'd been going to all these places overseas and um, not really knowing much about photography, but I wanted to take photos. So I went out and bought my first DSLR from Michael's Camera Store in Melbourne. And when you buy a a new camera there, one of the uh, perks is that they give you a free introduction to photography. And, And so I went... I went along to one of those workshops to learn how to use the camera and walking out of that one-day workshop, um, I was hooked. So it was I came I came home and I wanted to put into practice everything that I'd learnt in that day. And one of my first photos was actually uh, working on a farm. We had a Kelpie pup and I took a photo which I kind of think is almost the iconic image for me and the image of how I got started and and I think I've actually left it on my Instagram feed the very first photo and um, that photo went a little bit viral and um, and then I kind of went oh photography is easy and (laughs) Instagram's uh, (laughs) Instagram's easy and um, but I I I guess like my sport background is I'm I'm quite competitive and we in in tennis we had this philosophy of best practice and so I wanted to learn from the best and through that next 3 months I went and learned from a lot of the photographers that that I regarded as some of the best in the country so whether that be Kieran Stone uh Ken Duncan um, even local guys like Adam Dyson, I was jumping in on workshops to to learn from those guys. And um, and whilst in the beginning I had no idea what I was doing bit by bit and just jumping in those workshops and those guys were amazing <laughs> and answered all my questions. And I'm still very apologetic to those guys in how many questions I probably asked them in the beginning, but um, they pretty much made me love photography and loved being in the outdoors. And and then I gave up tennis. So my three months turned into six months. And within that six-month break, that was when I enrolled into formal education. So did I think RMIT were going to accept me? You had to submit a, a portfolio of work and okay. and I was very raw. And um, and I laugh now when I look at, um, even recently I looked at the 10 images that I submitted and uh, to get into RMIT and I, I cringe a little bit at those, uh, those 10 images, but I see it as a starting point and 
yeah, I'm I'm very much uh, very thankful to a lot of the photographers that sort of helped inspire me in the beginning and uh, and then even now. So um, those guys I'm still really close with and and I still chat to them quite often or go out shooting with them or whatever it might be. And and that's what I love about photography. It's that community kind of feel that you meet new people and, yeah, it's very inclusive and, and I think that's very unique to photography. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I, I guess I'd like to explore the uh, the. the- the process and and progress through RMIT a little bit. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I've spoken to a, a few of my guests about is, um, you know, that formal versus self education, um, and you know, diff- different things work for different people, obviously, and different people learn in different ways. Um, I, I guess what was it about the the, the RMIT courses or the the um the uh course that you chose how did how did how did you go about looking for it what did what did you find about it or find out about it before you, you you started and what um what drew you into it I guess yeah so RMIT wasn't actually the first one that I applied for I I was actually I live or my family's farm is fairly close to Geelong uh, in Victoria. So I actually applied for Deakin University, which is in Geelong, and mm. and that was a uh, Bachelor of Photography, and, and I was accepted into that pretty early. So similar kind of process. You submit a pro- uh, portfolio of work and, and I got a, an offer, and um, and I actually accepted the offer, but I left on the table applying for uh, a couple of other universities, so one being RMIT. And and I went and uh, I can actually remember my interview where I went and, and sat in with them and, uh, and they challenged me in a unique way to look to look at my work. So part of that was you you walked through RMIT, the massive campus in the middle of Melbourne, and, yep. and you saw the facilities and uh, just even sitting within that interview process where they have a look at your portfolio in front of you and they asked you questions. I, I felt in that moment it was going to be the place for me that that they were beginning to challenge me but they didn't know me. And we're starting to challenge my my style of photography. And so I walked out of that interview thinking there's no way they're letting me in. Um, they talked a lot about commercial work. And, and my understanding of photography was very basic. Uh, I was only relatively new to photography. I'd done a lot of workshops with photographers. I knew how cameras worked and I uh, had no idea about editing. I'd never opened Photoshop ever. Um, In fact, my first ever, Kieran would probably, Kieran Stone would hate me saying this, but uh, Kieran, uh, who's an exceptional photographer, showed me Photoshop one day and he nearly put me to sleep. And it wasn't because what he was saying was uh, boring or anything. It was just way over my head. And um, so... So when I was doing some research about RMIT, I learned that it was one of the oldest institutions of photography in the world. Mm-hmm. And 
they they had a unique uh, balance of practical and theory. So that was where having a look at a first first year, um, what was uh, all the subjects that I was going to do. It, a lot of it was theory. Uh, a lot of it was practical, should I say? And and for me, with my background in sport, that was going to be a lot more suited for my learning style. So so yeah. So I I um um about I think it was about two weeks later I got an accepted. I was offered a spot uh, there, and uh, pretty much I never looked back from from that point I I went into that formal uh education and and I always laugh that um in in the sporting industry I was renowned as a perfectionist and and I felt that the course coordinator at the time was talking directly at me because one of the first things he said when he addressed the group was if you're a perfectionist you need to walk back out that door and and I and we've always had a, a little bit of a laugh about that that uh, that my that was what he said without even knowing me but um, definitely they unraveled that layer of my perfectionism through through study but the I guess like the way I look at it is uh, my experience I I have a degree in sports science and yeah. my my experience from like changing careers and uh, uni is you get out of it what you want to get out of it and yeah, yeah. Um, and I definitely did push myself I I wasn't prepared to settle for just passing um, and they talked a lot about industry standards so in everything that I did I I pretty much pushed myself to complete every assignment to industry standard if I wasn't happy with it I started again Mm. and and I know I drove them nuts with that um but and in quite often they were asking me to submit two assignments because my first one that I ditched still would have been like a distinction or a high distinction but it wasn't living up to my standard so I started started the process again so yeah but I, I learned a lot about a lot of different genres and and I actually enjoyed the theory, learning about, I guess, like the history of photography and where photography began to where it is now. And, and that's, I guess, expanded my horizons in technology as well, how much technology's changed and, and how I can use technology to my advantage or wanting to use technology in a, in a little bit different kind of way. And, um, yeah, R- RMIT definitely put that on on the table, as well as um, probably the biggest thing I got out of RMIT was in the last six months that I was there, and they knew that I was stubborn and I wanted to go down the landscape photography uh, track, and they asked me at that time to print out the work of 15 to 20 photographers I admired, whether mm-hmm. that be on Instagram, and so we printed off their Instagram feeds and and I came into the studio one day and my lecturer had actually put hung them all on the wall with um, blue tack and he asked me to take a step back and go, okay, so now you see all 20, what do you see? And, and the answer to that was exactly the same thing. 
and yeah. and then in amongst that was my work and and I was falling into that trap of creating a body of work that was no different from anyone else and mm-hmm. um and that was my turning point and that that I don't think I could have got that from anywhere else apart from formal study or I'd still be going down that path currently um oblivious to the fact that I was actually doing it so um so for that I'm I'm really thankful to my lecturers and and to RMIT for kind of challenging me and opening my eyes to the photographer that that I want to be yeah no that's great so when uh you actually made the decision to go through that education process the reasoning behind that I assume is to not to improve your Instagram feed, but to become a professional photographer. And, you know, is, is, is that something that, you know, drove you after, you after you first sort of got hold of the camera or is that just something that came about as you started to learn more about it? I think y- yes, yes and no. It was, it was sort of one of those things that, like, in, in that time of, I kind of learned what I loved about tennis was being outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, like I loved the connection, particularly with kids that I coached or athletes I developed. But if I go back to high school, I actually had the opportunity to accept a scholarship into graphic design or a scholarship into sport. And I chose sport because I couldn't see myself sitting at a computer editing whatever which is ironic that I've come full circle so digital photography exactly yeah now I sit at a computer and edit photos but but it was it was kind of it was always there and what what I sort of learned about landscape photography was I loved exploring and I loved seeing these places and it wasn't so much about taking photos in the beginning it was um, a photographer might have inspired me to go to that location, but it wasn't so much about replicating his shot. It was about going to that spot and enjoying that location and and seeing it through my own eyes. Mm. And um, in terms of study, I did do some research before I even applied. And And one of the things that I wanted to learn was why in – the photographers that I was learning from, um, so even say Ken Duncan or um, even some of the other like really popular Instagram guys, none of them had gone through formal study and would that be my point of difference? They were all self-taught. And so, so that was pretty much where I thought, okay, well, from my sport background, I had to have degrees. Maybe an advantage to me was to have a degree. So uh, and that was where I kind of went, okay, I'm going to go into formal study and and see what it is that, uh, yeah, they they can offer me and will that make me a better photographer? And, and I think for me it definitely did. Um, but I also understand that it's not suited to everybody. And, um, like, I've got people that have even done workshops with me and have asked similar questions to me and and some of them I've said yep 
this is the way to go, like formal study. And then there's some that it's just not suited to. They'd be better off learning from another photographer in yeah. a one-on-one or workshop basis. So, yeah. So so the big thing for me was it was it was really going to be my point of difference and particularly as a female photographer that I I didn't or I couldn't find anyone that had done uh well at the time I there was no one that I'd sort of found that had done formal study so so that was why I decided to go down that track mm, okay so you mentioned uh you know getting out and experiencing some of those locations I I guess is that what really motivates you creatively or is it um so i i guess you know do you plan the experience and the the shooting around that experience or do you kind of let that flow after you actually get there is it a plan activity um or a bit of both sometimes you know yeah sometimes it's a bit of both so i i've been fortunate the last couple of years to work for Ken Duncan as as his photographic assistant. And one of the things that I've really learned from him is to enjoy the moment and to enjoy the location. And sometimes that may mean you don't actually take your camera out of the bag. Yep. And, and quite often I will actually really enjoy um, sitting there with, Ken Ken will be off shooting and and I'll be helping him, but I actually just enjoy sitting there in that location, almost visually exploring it. And and for me, it's okay. I'm going to come back at a different time, and and I perhaps see something that he doesn't. Or and uh, definitely, he's he's told me a lot is. You know, sometimes in in those moments, you need to go back. You you're never going to get the shot the first time. Uh, don't fall into the trap of you know over photoshopping a location or um, yeah. you know replacing that sky. It's about um, enjoying that experience. And and sometimes you might have unfinished business in in locations. And and that I'm a lot more open to. And so I almost visually or I have a checklist of locations that I've been to where it just hasn't lined up and mm-hmm. um, and until recently like even say for example you know down the south coast Horsehead Rock I, I'd shot there five six times and I'd never posted a photo because I'd never been happy with any of the photos and, oh. and until recently um, I was okay well I've actually got something I like now it's not perfect but it's it's getting there and and it, and I still feel like I have unfinished business there I need to go back I've seen it in different lights I know the time that I need to be there now mm-hmm. um, to get the type of shot that I'm after but it I guess yeah Ken talks a lot about connection with the landscape and yeah. and I understand that uh, a lot a lot more and 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 that's what I I love whether it be you know, hiking to a location just to see what it's like in different light. And and I might only take a pocket camera with me and then sometimes I'm kicking myself because the light is so good and I don't have my my camera, but it's motivation to go back and yeah. um and see it again and and to really experience it. So um part of 
part of, I guess, like my education. So whether it be with, you know, um, Ken or or even one of his for, former assistants, Glenn McKimmon, they they talk a lot about what is your story, and they ask me all the time, what is my story, and what is mm-hmm. the story I'm trying to tell, and and I think until I I start listening to the landscape and the locations that I'm in, I'm I need to learn how to tell that story. And and probably in the last six months, I actually feel like it's finally clicked. It's only taken two and a half years for that philosophy to click. But but I I feel like I'm now on that path. I get it. And um and then I guess the story that I'm trying to tell in my images, like whether it be words that accompany the the image now, it's starting to make sense. And um, that's where I kind of feel it's part of my journey and um and it's that's where I feel like I'm a work in progress I'm I'm a lot closer than I was a year ago but it's okay. it's only just started all those elements have just started to click now so yeah I guess in in just listening to you there one of the things that sort of uh comes out to me obviously you know there, there's photography for um, I guess documenting, you know, uh, an experience for want of a better term. Now you can do that artistically, but I guess how do you how do you transcend from just okay, well, this is the landscape, this is the shot I took at that time in that light, etc. How do you sort of transcend from that into what somebody would call art, and in particular, you know really good art or great art as opposed to yes it's a it's a very nice long exposure of that sunset or that waterfall or that you know seascape or whatever yeah I guess I guess it's like also to like what conditions you see a landscape in and like for for example um I I shot I've only just posted it actually and it's a shot of Mullumbara Point Mm-hmm. Uh, down on the south coast and and actually Ken went to Mullumbulla Point he went to photograph the the rock and and I was like oh I actually liked the other side better there was huge waves crashing and mm-hmm. the weather was absolutely terrible it was when we had all that rain and this storm front come came in and it was bucketing with rain but the swell was huge and the waves crashing into the rock was was insane and 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 I felt I didn't go with Ken in that moment to the other side and I knew the rock stack was like impressive and I'm like no there was something pulling me the other way and and I think like now looking at that image that it it tells the story of that day a lot more than if I'd gone the other side so Mm. I'm a lot more aware I guess of like looking at the conditions that we're in and then like I'm never in a hurry to take a photo and and I think that's really important as well like having patience to whether it be like wander around not not with your camera out but um having a look at different compositions and and I I guess I ask myself now okay does this composition tell the story of what it was like in that very moment and and then the deeper connection of that is the words that you use with it and and a lot of the time us as photographers we forget to accompany not only the photo but the actual words 
words with oh, it. I'm, and... I'm hopeless at writing a caption. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky. You're oh. lucky if you get three or four words out of me. <laughs> well, well, I was kind of the same, and and I suppose like you know, like working with different photographers, whether it be in their gallery and um, seeing seeing particularly like I want to be a landscape photographer that sells work and sure. and part of my education with Ken and um, his gallery and his amazing team or whether it be chatting to Glenn McKimmon or 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 anyone else that runs a gallery is that when people come in and they see those pictures they'll either one that they'll be deeply connected with the image itself of where it is and it'll automatically trigger that emotional response. So I've been there. I know what that's like. Um, you know, thank you so much for making me relive that that memory or it's your words. And, and I would watch people, particularly in my first six months of, you know, working with Ken, they would come into the gallery, they'd look at the image, but then they'd read the story. And yeah. then instead of them moving on to the next image, they would then take a step back and they'd see the image in a different light. So um, so I guess that, that's been one of the experiences that, well, whether it be out of formal study or, um, or anything else, I never would have seen that. And, and that's where I guess like um, that's where my journey, that's always been my stumbling point. I've always struggled with the words, but I always felt like I was close in images that uh, gave gave you a sense of where I was or made you feel like you were there, but I was never quite there. And yeah. um, I I look at things a little bit different now and and definitely that's where I start to see that different side and and definitely the words and the story combined will make people take a second look and and then they may uh that may help them create a connection with with your work and then of course you know the greatest honor is if they turn around and say hey I'd actually love that on my wall mm, so yeah. and and that's where I'm at I guess as a photographer trying to marry the two to um to tell my story and tell my story of the type of photographer I want to be and that will give um, people a connection with my work that will make them want to have it on their wall. Mm, okay. So one of, one of the things that I've noticed in looking through some of your work uh, over the past few months um, has been some of your work, your, your night shoot, shoots with uh drones i'm assuming you're using lights on the drones to create shapes etc can you talk us through how you do that and what you know what what it is that i guess got you started in thinking about that and how that um you know how that side of the uh your, your photography sort of came about um i so when I was studying at RMIT, I had a drone and believe it or not, when I was studying there and and I graduated in 2018 and, and drones had been out for a couple of years, but they they weren't very pro-drones at, at that stage. And um, if, if I submitted a drone assignment or an image of um, taken with a drone, it 
it needed to be pretty good. So, and yeah. and I guess like I'm a technology buff. I, I like a drone came out and and I, you know, inspired by so many amazing photographers that were creating such a unique uh, angle of uh, locations that was such highly shot and and they really drew me in so so that got me into drones and then I guess like the next couple of years then everybody had a drone and yeah. and then it was okay well how can I how can I do something different and and it it didn't come sort of automatically and um I one of the things when I first learned photography was so after I did the initial uh course at Michael's camera store the next one the instructor encouraged me to do was a Melbourne night walk and uh, on that he taught me how to spin orbs and I thought that was the best thing ever with like fairy lights in a ball and I'm like this is great so I was hooked on light painting and then the next stage came I went and learnt um from Richard Taddy uh who's uh nightscape photography and an exceptional astrophotographer and then it was okay well how can I combine both and and then the evolution of the drone so um so with the drone I essentially bought a custom kit, uh, a LumiCube. So I attached LumiCubes uh, to it. You can use landing lights on it, but uh, the landing lights can be a little bit hit and miss, and it also doesn't pump out enough light. So having two LumiCubes mounted on the drone, yeah, and you can alter the setting, um, is like pumps out heaps. So... So then it was okay shapes and and things things like that and and I'm not going to lie the first time I tried this I tried it at sunset or just after sunset and my family have um uh you know thousands of acres and there was some hay bales in a paddock and and I put up the drone and not very high and thought I would try it and was just creating straight lines and the first like you don't know which way you're flying your drone. You've got no idea. You can see lights, but you can't tell you if it's coming forwards or going backwards. And, yeah, right. and I crashed the drone into a hay bale and and then I had to walk. It ended up being the drone was about 700 metres away from me and I'm yeah. looking for a drone in a paddock. So, so it's drone. been a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so then it just became... I guess experimenting in the day with um, like different shapes and patterns that you can create, and and then I learnt shooting at sort of last light creates nice, almost crisp shapes. Mm. So um, if I'd shot later, which um, I have a commercial license, which will give me permission to shoot at night, but um, the shapes aren't as crisp. So, and it's just because you get more light spill. So, um, so shooting at last light, you get the much cleaner pattern because it's just the light itself rather than yeah, that right. spill of light. So, yeah. Um, so, so drones have like great, great features in, you know, follow me and, um, you know, point of interest. So, so one of the things that you can do to get those nice crisp circles is 
point of interest. So, um, so if it's the tree out at um, Batesford, you can sort of focus on the tree and then spin spin it around that. So, so that makes it quite easy. Um, and then some of the other shapes. So uh, squares, I tried out over our canola crop, and and that's more mathematics. It's you kind of have to know how far you're flying, how far up, and then you have to go the same distance back and then drop down. So geometry. Yeah, exactly. So um but it can be quite fun to try and get it in in one exposure and and it's also it's also incredibly frustrating. So um so I can honestly say there's sometimes I'm out there and I waste all my batteries and I don't get the shot and and I walk away going, oh like I could Photoshop it, but like and, but then I don't. So, and um, and I think, like, I, I got asked recently, there was, I think I posted the one that I did. It was almost the perfect square over the mm-hmm. canola and the Milky Way behind, but it wasn't it wasn't quite complete. I'd actually stopped it um, before I thought it was connected and, and someone said to me, why didn't you just Photoshop it? And I've gone, because it. It's not quite perfect, but that makes it real at the same time. So, yeah. yeah. The imperfection um, actually makes it what it is, yeah. Absolutely. And, and like, if you have a look at some of my other ones with, you know, the triangular shapes and things like that, if if you zoomed in, then um, you will see that there are a few bumps in them. It's not quite the perfect line so and and that's okay and I'm okay with that so I think not having the perfections in it will make it appear more photoshopped than than what it is but definitely the key to the perfect circles is um yeah sort of that last light and when the light can just focus on on the lumi cubes itself you'll get that nice nice uh that nice perfect circle yeah. Okay. So, did, did, I, I guess, do you see them as an exercise in creating art with the, the the drone, as opposed to, I mean, obviously, it's not, I, I guess, a uh, an experiential uh, sort of photograph. You know, it's something that you've actually created. You've you, you've had to program it and all the rest of it, uh, but you've you've planned that out. You've thought about what it is that you the, the image end image that you want to create. Um, I, I guess, how, how do you sort of um, see that in terms of your overall uh, body of work? It's it's definitely something that I feel like if I want to do it now, I probably have to do it now. Um, if I wanted to create a body of work on it, um, because I guess like the more people start to see it the more they replicate it and, yeah. and things like that. So so it's one of those things that if I leave it too long, I've missed the boat. So someone else will jump in in front of me and and create the work and then I'll kick myself that I wasn't more motivated. But but through through COVID last year in Melbourne, like we spent so much time in lockdown and 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 awards, I do enter awards, not not necessarily to win awards, it's more for feedback and um, it it allows me to be a little bit more crazy with ideas. And um, if if I submitted 
landscapes that I love into awards, they're not going to do any well. So I've got to I've got to think outside the square and and give, I guess, like judges and the industry something different to look at. So so one of the ideas that I came up with through lockdown was I I had access to landscape that was such impacted by drought. And so I created a a series of images which was based around alchemy, which is uh, earth symbols. So I did air, uh, earth, water, mm-hmm. and fire. And so the one that I did with fire, the huge fire, that's on my farm. So my dad, I had my dad bundle all this rubbish that we wanted to get rid of and we bundled it in the middle of our paddock and lit it up and um, I'm surprised the drone came back to me because, man, it was hot. So we put so much stuff on it. I thought we were going to melt the drone midair and we couldn't get anywhere near it. So, but, um, yeah, so I did that one and we had dry river beds um, not far from us in, in Ballarat, so the cracked earth and we'd go out and scout them through the day and then know that we had to be there like at sunset or or that sort of thing. So so I guess it was me starting to create a series that explored that and it was, okay, well, how can I do fire? Well, I've got to build a fire. So um, and then earth, okay, I needed cracked earth and to show the impact of drought or uh, water. I had to wait for Trentham Falls to be really pumping and what better way than stand at one of um, Victoria's most impressive waterfalls and shoot it in a completely different way and, yeah. and things like that. So there was a lot of planning, but um, but it was also fun to kind of uh, to try these things. And, and not all the shots came together on the, you know, at the perfect time. So um, I needed clear skies to get I didn't want like milky ways but I wanted to see stars and um and things like that so it was a lot of planning and if I got it wrong I had to wait for the next perfect time so uh low moon or almost no moon clear skies and then the other big thing is wind so to paint those perfect uh those perfect kind of shapes so yeah there was a lot of a lot of planning but when you're in lockdown for nine months in Victoria, you got a lot of time to uh, to to replan and think about how you can go back and shoot those again. Definitely. So, Definitely. so it's so it started out as four four sort of images, and then um, and then it's I guess like going to different locations. So one of them is out near Mount Arapiles. Um, I think it's called Midas Rock, and it's just mm-hmm. this random rock that's just sticking out of the middle of some farmer's crop. So all the way around it is uh, wheat crops and canolas across the road and there's this impressive rock. And I'm like, um, we went out to pick up a header like machinery and yep. and I made Dad um, pull over on the side of the road, wait until um, – and, and we took some shots and then we we left. So we actually caught up to the machinery before we got home, but, but it was kind of – that was, I guess, like um, that was more spontaneous. It was, yeah. okay, everything lined up or, you know, shooting out at Lone Tree 
um, that was wanting to create something different that nobody had sort of seen at, at Lone Tree. I, I don't want to create the same images as everyone else now and and that was a way that, you know, I could light up the rock but capture, um, you know, the sun as it was coming up and at yeah. first light and, and just give a different feel to to an image that or to a place that is shot so often. Yeah, that's great. I mean, growing up in the uh, in the farm and everything, do you think that has influenced how you've gone about your photography? Um, and I don't just mean, yes, you you're obviously going to shoot the local landscape um, because you know you, you shoot near where you live. Most people do anyway. You know, do, but do you think that has influenced? you know, more around your style and the, the the types of images that you're trying to create or do you do you not feel that at all, I guess? I guess I guess like I I've wanted to create images of the farm that people hadn't seen seen before. And and I guess like being I, I consider myself really fortunate that through that time that I was actually you know, taking the break from from tennis, I I had a landscape at my doorstep. I didn't have to travel anywhere. I could I could um, walk out the back door and shoot whatever I wanted. And and it just so happened that it was a time when you know um, it was about springtime and there's canola in flower. And then um, of course with that is you know your summer storm. So I wanted to be out shooting lightning and or trying to shoot lightning or figuring my way around that or or things like that. I think the farm definitely gave me a an opportunity to perfect my, I guess, my technical ability as a photographer. And and I really did challenge, I guess, myself technically in um, wanting to know all the settings and walking into a location and knowing exactly how I want to shoot it. And to do that, I had to understand the camera. So, um, and there was a lot of failure. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. There was a, there was a lot of failure. So you'd walk, but you would walk away and go, Oh, I can't believe I did that. But if I'd been just going out on weekends and, and doing that same sort of process, I might not have the opportunity to learn from those mistakes as as oh. quickly as I did, but um, yeah, like I guess like the farms also, you know, it's given me an understanding more of yeah, I suppose like the landscape, but rural life, and you know, talking to my dad, and um, my dad's probably got a better eye for farm photography than what I do it quite often that I'm I'm here on the farm and he'll ring me up and say did you see that sunset and I'm like no I'm sitting editing an image so no I'm not looking out the window so and then I'll look out the window and go oh like that was a good one or yeah, yeah, or that yeah. sort of thing so but I guess in in the beginning I was trying to make farm image is too complicated and and now I probably think it, think about it more in simplicity simplicity is king and 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 I suppose like you can probably start to see that in my style again it's I'm not really going to really complicated uh, compositions it's simplicity and yep. and 
And I think that's what the farms taught me, to communicate that kind of story. Sometimes the more simple it is, it communicates your message better. And um, and it's all about composition. So and thinking of unique ways that you can compose an image and and being having access to that kind of landscape definitely gives you more practice to be able to experiment with composition and then find your style yeah. on top of that. So um, so that for that, I'm I'm really grateful for the farm. I guess what what are you looking for when you when when you're looking at those compositions? Well, you, know, you, you mentioned simplicity, but what what are what are the elements that you're after? I guess. Um, sometimes I don't even know. So, like, um, I took one. Like, literally, I was traveling. I just got my border pass, heading back to Melbourne. Um, you know, 110 k's on on the freeway and. The only thing I was thinking was, oh, like I'm two weeks late for canola on our farm mm. and I'm driving through like the farming communities on the Hume and they've all just finished and I come across this one paddock at Gundagai that yep. has a hill, pretty much one tree on a hill, blue skies and, um, and, and I'm like, will I stop? And then I'm like, nah, I'm going to keep going. But then I stopped, and yeah. then and then I took the photo with, which for me would be a wide angle, and and I'm having a look at the back of the camera, just going, it's just not working. So yeah. hunting through my car, looking for my telephoto, and yeah. the only one I could find was my seventy to two hundred, and I'm thinking it's not, uh, it's not enough, but it it works, and and then like in that process of looking for another lens, this one white puffy cloud decides it's going to plonk itself dead smack over the tree. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that works. And yeah. and then like out of the corner of the screen, like I see like, oh, I've got lens spots. What are those marks? And then realise, oh, it's a flock of birds. Like oh, yeah. I I never would have seen seen that before. Like sometimes a composition just sort of, comes to you you're not you're not kind of expecting it or like I you know if it was even the other night like we had storms here I walked out into the paddock not really sure what I was gonna photograph and you like I I tend to wander around and and kind of look for elements what's my Mm -hmm. foreground to start with and and then what what do I want to be the hero in the image so you know whether it's clouds or something specific or movement and and then it's okay well how can I pair this back so is it too complicated take a photo have a look at it on the back of the camera but the benefit of digital um don't know how they did it in film so but um have a look at have a look at the composition and kind of go okay does it work is it too complicated how can I make it more simple and it might be experimenting with different lenses and and some of it or different focal lengths. So and and quite often that's what I experiment with, you know, switching from portrait to landscape or um, shooting at different focal lengths. And and when I come back and have a look at them on the screen, there'll be one that'll straight away jump out and it'll kind of go, okay, that that one tells 
tells the story more so than than another yeah so i'd love to say that i plan i plan to be in a location at a specific time but in terms of compositions a lot of the time no i don't i don't really know and and i try not to look at instagram and other people's photos to see what they're shooting um because if i do that i'll kind of be led to what they're shooting yeah, and yeah. and I want want to create something a little bit different. So, um, and if I'm not influenced, I'm probably more likely to. So, yeah. Okay. So, do you have a favourite spot that you just keep wanting to return to, whether or not you do return to it? <laughs> yeah, I um, I live not far from the Otways. So, and. And it's one of those places that when I was a tennis coach, I'd never actually visited the Otways. And one of my best memories in photography was uh, heading down for the first time. I think I went on a workshop with, I went in twice in, I think it was about six weeks. The first time I went with Adam Dyson and Pete James. And then about a month later, I went with uh, Kieran Stone. and And that was... That was the spot. It was after walking into, uh, say, for example, Hopeton Falls for the first time and looking at Hopeton Falls, I'm like, wow, I want to be a photographer. So so I definitely have this deep connection with the Otways. I I love the green. I love the water. and, And I don't even have to take photos. And, and I have a similar kind of feel and it's and it's similar is Mountfield National Park for the same sort of reasons like not so much Russell Falls but but Horseshoe Falls and yeah, yeah. and I could literally sit at Horseshoe Falls all day and just watch that water <laughs> and and I feel like that's always my place and the same with the Otways to just reset my focus and and if I'm if I feel like I'm starting to lose focus or losing my way in photography a bit, I, I always walk away from those locations just feeling inspired again. And and I'll I'll walk away with a different kind of image and and then that that almost breaks that creative block. So I try to visit there as much as I can. And um I I did have a trip lined up at the end of last year to go to uh, to Tassie again, but with COVID and borders, it was uh, cancelled. But um, and was definitely looking at um, looking for an adventure in rafting down the Franklin to oh. uh, follow in the footsteps of uh, Dromboskis. And yeah, yeah. and I didn't care if I didn't take a photo; I just wanted to go. So yeah, no, apart no. from the uh, <laughs> the lure of adventure and whitewater rafting and all that sort of thing, that kind of yeah uh, was very enticing. But um, yeah, I I think like it's hard not to be inspired by Tassie or yeah. um yeah that so, southwest region which is just so uh you know I guess it's uninhabited, it's just so rugged and uh as pristine as almost any wilderness on earth, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And and I see like images by the likes of Luke Sharkey and yep. and that sort of thing and and I don't want to go there to replicate their shots. It's like you they could drop me in without a camera and I'd be quite happy to just yeah. explore. And 
and that sort of thing. Like, you know, if if I wanted if I wanted to create the same image as theirs, I'd just buy their shot. They've done it. So it, yeah. um and have it on the wall to continue to inspire me. But but definitely I like I look at their images and just go, wow, like they're just incredible. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The Tarkine and 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 places like that. And and Karen Genie, like I have this, I feel like I've got unfinished business at Karangini. It's uh, the first workshop I did with Ken Duncan and mm-hmm. I walked away from that just going, wow, this place is in Australia. <laughs> like, and yeah. um, nobody's ever heard of it. I know people have heard of it a little bit more now, but it's it's one of those places that you just have to go see. It's um, it's it's well, incredible it's beyond means. Though. Haven't got there. It's yet. still on your list. Yeah. Um, I'm uh, I'm dying to get there next year. So yeah. um, I think I'll just about yeah. Um, I I would hazard a guess I'll be there next year. So I've been putting right. it off for a few years. I guarantee that I'll be back there next year. I guess when when you're going back to you know places like the Otways and so forth, um, do you find the familiarity with those places? helps you find new compositions and new ways of shooting you know you you mentioned horseshoe falls and as you said yes you could sit there and just watch the water but you know if you if you get your camera out do you find having been there many times helps you find those new uh those different compositions or do you find that sort of hampers you a little bit because it's kind of like you know there's certain angles that you know, Hopeton Falls, for example, looks absolutely fantastic at. There's others where it looks yep. it's it's a waterfall, a nice waterfall, but <laughs> the, the composition and the shots are ordinary, you know. Um, yeah. How, how do you sort of go about, you know, that and how do, does, does it does it help having been there so often or or does it hinder? Um, I think... For me, it definitely is an advantage. Like I don't ever feel like I walk away from shooting at, say, Hopeton, feeling like I've got the shot. Yep. I, I, I always walk away going, "Oh, I was so close," or, or I, like I've I've done it so many times where you you'll shoot and you'll make a rookie mistake. Mm. And like it's you're so overwhelmed by your surroundings that you just go, how on earth did I make that mistake? Yeah. And I've stuffed the shot. Like you know, you know that your composition's good, the conditions were right, but you just make a mistake, and and that kind of inspires you to go back again and again. And and I've seen Hopeton pumping that you can't get anywhere near it. Mm. where you feel like um you're going to get like blown into the water and then um and then I've seen it with nearly no water and and each time it's unique and um the other benefit is seeing it in different light and yeah. like I've shot it early in the morning I've shot it at midday I've shot it late afternoon and and each time it's it's different and um, how much water's going over makes a big difference too to the Absolutely. ambience yeah. and and things like that. So um, has a has a set of trees fallen down and that gives you a unique perspective and it, it changes so much that that I feel like I could shoot there 
you know, every week for a year and walk away with different shots sort of every time. And um, I suppose... I suppose like my style originally was I wanted to be as close as I could to it. And then as as I'm developing my style, I'm actually moving further and further and further away from it because I feel like that's telling the story more. So um, so even that learning process is changing my, the type of image that, that I'm trying to create. And, and then you've got your other variables such as like, Early when I was shooting, it was, you know, they taught me long exposure and I was obsessed with long exposure and you had to shoot waterfalls. (laughs) Absolutely. Like 20 to 30 seconds was the goal. Like, and and if you had someone like Tazzy Grammar who says a long exposure isn't, it's not a long exposure unless it's three minutes. So, of course, I had to experiment with three-minute exposures of acting balls. Like that pen stopper on. (laughs) Exactly. So so I kind of feel like, and now it's shorter. So, like, now I'm around, you know, a quarter of a second. I'm capturing movement in the water. Like, there's so many elements that can make it different. And, And I really admire the guys. Like, I follow the guys like Craig Richards and... And that that shoot it all the time, and 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 I love it when they come up with something new. It's like yes, there's a new shot there, or um, you know, or different technology. And and one that I actually really love was from um, Oat, who's um, hanging pixels, and yep. I think he used like a 3D camera, and he created this orb of uh, Hopeton Falls, and I'm like, yeah. wow, that's like super cool. So. So I think, like, depending on what you shoot with, you don't have to go out and get the, you know, the newest technology. But, like, I love the guys that are, are really creative. And, yeah, there's plenty of plenty of different shots. And, yeah, so um, different light. And, yeah, I, I think you could shoot Hopeton a million different ways and, and end up with something completely different um, yeah, each yeah. time. And, and then you've got other waterfalls all through the Otways that, you know, some of them haven't even been explored. And, you know, I, I'd be quite happy for them to dump me in the Otways for three months and give me a little GPS and and a and attend and go now go exploring and and I'd be happy. It like like, a I'd be <laughs> yeah, I'd, like Adam Dyson's waterfall project where he was aiming to shoot so many waterfalls in a year or in the year or yeah, in that yeah. period and and like yeah, that that was incredible and and I loved I loved that he challenged himself to do that. Very envious that he he saw some uh, you know incredible incredible places and um yeah, but would I replicate the similar project he did? No, I'm I'm actually more curious for him to finish it, and and then hopefully I create. I hope that he creates a book, so that you know we can um, we can sort of inspires the next generation. No, I think uh, I I think that'd be a great idea, and I I think any anyone that knows Adam or uh, has his Instagram, send him a DM and ask him to make a book. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'll definitely be on him about that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but, like, I think, you know, by the time he's finished, there's there's going to be no doubt that, um, you know, 
the images that he creates are, are so unique and yeah, they're not snaps yeah. that they really are work of art and and I love like there's no greater feeling than you know opening up Instagram and there's a brand new waterfall from Adam sitting there and yep. um, something that little bit unique and a, a new perspective that you haven't seen and and that really gets me excited about photography like to see something new definitely what's the most memorable experience you've had out shooting I I, I was really fortunate a few years ago to go out with uh, Ken out to Hearts Bluff. And Ken is very much about giving back to, uh, like, giving back. So so whether that's spending time with uh, photographers, like spending time out in community, donating his time Mm. or whatever it might be. And, And he took me out to a place called Hearts Bluff, which is out in the middle of nowhere. It's uh, like uh, two and a half hours out of Alice Springs and uh, you drive through the West McDonald Ranges past Mount Sondar and and some of the most incredible landscape. And you head out to a a rural community of Indigenous uh, Aboriginals and, and... that, without a doubt, was the most rewarding experience I've had, whether I took photos or not. And um, to get to know them and then hear their story of the landscape and what the landscape means to them, for me, that that was also part of my learning experience, learning to be connected more to the landscape and, and how they talk about the landscape and their stories and um, they communicate those stories, whether it be through art or music or whatever it might be. And, um, yeah, and they would, um, I, I had the opportunity to go out without Ken as well. And a lot of the elder women took me under their wing and they took me to some locations that, that mean a lot to them. And, like, the locations are amazing, like patterns in rocks and hills and, and then they're telling me the story of the landscape and I'm like, wow, I need to go back. Like yeah, yeah. Um, I, I can't wait to go back and, and photograph um, that landscape and, and tell their story. Um, and, yeah, so that, that would be without doubt the most rewarding experience. And then teaching, teaching them photography. So, um, I, I've had no greater experience in photography really than taking a group of girls that had never touched a camera before out. We go out on top of a, on top of a hill and, uh, and challenge them. We give them the basics of how to shoot. They've got these little Lumixes and, yep. like, we're there to help them. But, okay, now photograph what you see. You, you come back and for... For people that have never touched a camera before and their images were incredible and then we took them back to the Creative Technology Centre and showed them how to edit, basic edit in Lightroom and, and, and then the rewarding experience was them then printing their work yep. and they were so proud. Like it was like, wow, I've got something tangible and, um, 
And then we printed not only a copy for them, but we printed a copy for the centre. And we they didn't understand what we were doing to start with. We said, you have to sign it. So sign it and date it. And we hung them up. So the next time they came in, their, their prints were on the wall. And, yeah. and then they wanted to tell their friends and their aunties and their uncles. And then all of a sudden we had all these people coming into the Creative Technology Centre to see their work that they were so proud of. And there, there'll be nothing that will ever compare to, to that sort of moment. Like teaching. What a great experience. That's amazing. Yeah. So, and, and just something so simple as printing, like meant the world to them. And for us to go, that's amazing. And we want to hang it up within our space. Um, yeah, that, that was incredible. And then they, they made me print some of my crazier drone kind of photography. They were fascinated by the drone. Yeah. And uh, the minute I left, apparently, uh, they very quickly came in and took my prints off the wall and they hung them in their houses. So <laughs> I kind of thought that was a win-win too. So so that was um so that was quite nice. So aside from your cameras and your lenses, what piece of kit can't you live without? Probably my like my filters to a certain extent. So particularly um, a polarizer. So mm-hmm. I I use a polarizer pretty much almost on a daily basis so depending on what type of photography that I'm doing so whether it's architecture or or um or anything like that so um so probably probably a polarizer I'm that's probably like slightly obscure to what everyone else would say I'm sure but um but definitely yeah a polarizer would um would be yeah my my essential piece of my kit fair enough so what's the plan when you're uh, finally out of your self-imposed lockdowns or are you just <laughs> going to move to another state that's been locked down? <laughs> uh, well, I've got to go back to uh, New South Wales sort of towards the end of the month, but um, I'm definitely hoping that that I can sort of get out and, and take some photos while, while I'm back in Melbourne. So um, I've been really fortunate. Like I had the mandatory 14 day quarantine here. And mm-hmm. if I was quarantining in suburbia, it would be pretty hard, but being on the farm, you've got, you know, you've got acres and acres to walk around in and yeah, but you're not, uh, not, not going to meet anyone else. So, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and that's been good because it's kind of given me the opportunity to see what's changed on the farm and mm. uh, find, find some different uh, compositions and, and things like that. And, and some ideas of how I can shoot. I just need better weather is uh the big one it's uh it's poured here of late and yeah it's definitely been some crazy weather um since i've been back but but then like heading back uh up to the central coast so towards the end of the month uh yeah heading back to work with um ken and and i'm definitely looking forward to shooting (laughs) so shooting anything so um but I would I would love to sort of coincide with a with a weekend in the Blue Mountains. So if I can swing that, I'd uh, I'd make a slight detour and and I'd love to explore and and again like not necessarily taking photos, but um, just exploring some of the different aspects of the the Blue Mountains and yeah. and I'm blown away by so many people's images of the Blue Mountains that 
I just want to see it for myself. I want to see how grand that landscape is and mm. um, and have that connection and then maybe at some point in time come back and do some of my own photography. But, yeah, um, just enjoy it, I guess. Yeah. So and, and that's what I'd be, be looking for over or for the rest of the year anyway. Oh, fantastic. So are there any new projects on, on the cards once once you get out or is it uh, just just get up to uh, up to the central coast and the Blue Mountains or um probably the biggest project for me at the moment is printing my work. So uh, so I've been given a challenge that I have to present when I go back to the Central Coast a portfolio of work that that I'm happy with so um you know so that's so that's a bit of a challenge in itself so um do I just do landscape or do I cross that over with commercial work or Mm -hmm. or that sort of thing but but I've got a couple of weeks to to sort of work that out and um and I'm really I'm really privileged to sort of have some some great mentors within the industry that I can sort of um have a chat to whether it's zoom and and present their work so um i'll i'll reach out to an industry professional like sally brownbill who's quite often a a judge on the a lot of the awards and um um she has no connection with me apart from rmit but um you know show her a lot of my work and go okay well what would you what do you think that i would have in my portfolio and and then maybe reaching out to some of my former lecturers at RMIT or um you know people people in Melbourne that I admire and kind of say to them okay well this is my portfolio now give me some tough love so I'm 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 quite content for them to give me as much tough love as they want it'll just spur me on um but I, I think I think the greatest critic in my portfolio will be Ken and uh, until I haven't shown him a lot of my work and um, he, he he's uh, he's into Instagram but I don't think he follows me or I've made sure he doesn't follow me so, <laughs> so he doesn't see <laughs> I've, uh, but but it's um it's almost that purposeful thing like I I respect him greatly but um, it's kind of that nervousness of uh, showing him my work yeah. and kind of going, what do you think? So I think um, Glenn McKimmon has, when Glenn worked for Ken and um, he told me some stories about how he printed some of his work and showed Ken and Ken uh, was brutally honest with him. I think that scared me from ever wanting to show Ken some of my <laughs> stuff. So, um, but But, yeah, like I think, once once I've got a um I feel like I've I've created some stuff in the last sort of 12 months particularly with COVID and having time to go through images that have been in that ever-growing to-do pile and mm-hmm. um I, I feel like I've got a stronger body of work that yeah now I've got to fire up the printer and um part of study was you had to um create a portfolio and and I haven't updated since since study so it'll be ditching all those old ones and yeah printing some work and and maybe even releasing some new prints if I'm happy with the prints that I print out so are you printing so that'll be the big 
yeah, so um, so I've got an, an Epston printer at home. So um, I'll be doing some uh, A2 prints and, and things yeah. like that. But in terms of my my work that I sell, I, I work with a couple of great um, print labs, one in Melbourne and Created for Life in Sydney, and, mm. and they they do an incredible job and um yeah i think it's too hard to print all your work on a on a larger scale but but definitely um yeah every time i pick up prints from created for life i go wow i just should print my work more often and yeah, yeah there's there's no greater feeling than seeing your work printed oh absolutely and and particularly in large scale i've i've been doing quite a few uh large scale acrylic prints recently oh, yeah um, uh, they're, they're hideously expensive, but <laughs> I, I personally think really worth it. Um, you know, if you, you you get something that's you know one and a half meters wide and you know meter tall, and yep. you know, it's one of your favourite waterfalls or a seascape or a, or a landscape or whatever, you know, and you, you whack that on the wall. I I don't think there's there, there is a better feeling to be honest. Yeah, you know, I, I print a lot of books as well for myself. I don't don't publish them or or, or try to sell them. I just uh, I just create them for myself. Um, usually, yep. usually they're kind of a, a a mix of holiday and um, more artistic. You know, photography when I'm on 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 holidays or something, but. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I I personally think printing your work is you know really uh, one of the things that every photographer should be doing. You know, I mean we we're making you know millions of images each of you know not each each a million, but you know we we are making millions of these images which just sort of sit around on hard disks or in the cloud Absolutely. or you know on Instagram or whatever. But uh, you know. If you're not printing, I think you're uh, you're shortchanging yourself because once once you actually see your work in print and particularly you know in, in a larger scale, it it becomes something as you said you know it, it becomes something tangible that you can look at, feel, and you know remind yourself of that uh, that experience that you had. Yeah, absolutely, and like. Oh, through through uni, I was very I was very fortunate that um, I was given. We had to do essentially work experience, and and I went and worked in a print lab. I went and worked at uh, CPL Digital, and um, they print uh, Mark Bray's work and Tom Putt's work, and mm-hmm. and on the large scale. And uh, we, you know, in my time there, um, you know, Darren, who was a master printer. Um, would go, oh, we're printing Mark's work today or we're printing Tom's. And, and I think I was more excited with them coming out than, you know, when Mark and Tom were coming to pick them up. Like it was yeah, like, wow, yeah. I'm getting to see these huge prints and um, like on Fujiflex, like before yeah. they went off for face mounting and, and things like that. And, yeah, they were, they were just incredible. And and I love looking at other photographers' work and mm-hmm. And I've got uh, work on my walls, not my own work. I've got photographers that inspire me. And and I think that was the big game changer for me as a photographer, like um, to have uh, photography from like to own a Ken Duncan or mm. uh, to own 
um, a Glenn McKeown print and or Tom Putts or whoever, and and look at look at those on a daily basis and have that as the fuel. Hey, I want to create something to that standard. Um, I felt that was really important, and and it did. Like it, it um, the minute I put up my first print that wasn't my own, it was it made my work look so inferior. I wanted to pull all my own work down, <laughs> but it was definitely. It was definitely inspiring and um, the the one that I bought of Ken's was, it wasn't the one that I wanted. I walked into his gallery the first time and um, he has this amazing leopard shot and it was huge in the gallery. Like it mm. was 50 inches squared and and I remember walking in and going, wow, the eyes got you and, and Ken was there and he talked me into buying the giraffes out in Africa and I'm like, why am I buying the giraffes? And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, this is the investment piece. And, well, as it turns out, it probably is. It's um, yeah. it's almost sold out. but And it's an incredible image and it, it has grown on me over time. But all it did in the beginning was made me want to go and buy a phase one because I kind of figured <laughs> earlier in, <laughs> early in the uh, piece that, well, to succeed in photography, you need a phase one. So um, little did I know that's changed a little bit, you know, as we've gone on. But um, but but definitely it was having that on my wall and, and walking past it on a daily basis going, man, I want to create something that good. Mm. And, yeah, now I've added to the collection. I, I do have the leopard and <laughs> and I love the leopard. So, but I also know that, what he went through to get the leopard and I admire I admire the story as much as I admire the image so yeah yeah lovely so are there any uh photographers out there that uh you think I should be talking to um I'm always on the lookout for new people to bring on to the podcast and I, I already have a very long list but yeah <laughs> um I think like um like a really interesting guy is Richard Taddy. So <laughs> like what what he does like with nightscape photography, um, he's like he's massively popular. <laughs> so mm. and but he's a genuinely great guy. And um, I know I know there's like a lot of photographers out there. Oh, you know they're they're great photographers. They're great photographers, but to be great people as well and be really keen to share their knowledge and help you on your journey. Um, yeah, like, yeah, like I I used to look at what, what led me to Richard was um, essentially how he could turn such a mundane object, a rust bucket, into yep. a work of art and in the way that he lit it and and things like that yeah i i think he's um a super interesting character and um yeah definitely yeah someone that you should uh yeah maybe maybe look at so yeah definitely i'll um, i'll add him to the list <laughs> but another one is um like um i don't know if you've had him is glenn mckimmon so i haven't had um, but uh, genuinely he is great actually guy. on my list already. So yeah. Oh, there you go. So yeah. um no, genuinely great guy, really humble and um just the knowledge about the photographic industry yeah. is incredible. And and I love I I I probably 
like learn more from Glenn than than anyone else like our mundane conversations where it's just it is it's literally five ten minutes I walk into created for life and he'll say to me hey what have you seen or whatever and he'll show me something that he's seen or or vice versa oh did you see this and and Mm. we're probably um we're we're a similar kind of age and I I suppose like he's interested in the technology and, and that sort of thing but but yeah, what he's what he's done for the industry is yeah, incredible. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, uh, I'll 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 certainly bump him up the list then. So <laughs> I get to him. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. Give him a hard time and tell him that he's got to do it. So and if he doesn't, I'll I'll uh, I'll give him a hard time for you. <laughs> Fair enough. Sounds good. I might might get you to re- to do my do my recruiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> so no like I, I don't think you'll have a hard time like with with Glenn he's um yeah he's he's genuinely really passionate about the industry and mm-hmm. um and about other photographers and um yeah and and I don't think I've met anyone really as passionate about the photographic industry as as Glenn so no I think I think he'd be a great one but yeah Richard right. uh, equally is um a genuinely great guy and um yeah so um the other one I don't know if you had is Oat so Van Van Boon who's hanging pixels so um he's he's really interesting and and some yeah. of the stuff that he does is uh is yeah incredible. I'm re- really uh, impressed with his work and uh he he's been been on the list for a little while I, I, again it's just um timing wise trying to trying to fit everybody in and uh oh absolutely yeah no <laughs> I, Oat, I, I, I think i'll be doing this for a very long time <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's sort of like yeah like once you start like i even like talking to the girls like steph and serena they go wow our list just keeps getting longer and longer and longer absolutely. so and i'm like yeah there's just so many everybody's story's different and and i yeah. think that's that's the part that's unique and um, like every, I think I said to you in the beginning, every podcast that I listen to, I always walk away with something completely different. And and even I was listening to Dylan Toe. I don't know if you watched Niecy's one last no. night. Like I walked away from that going, like I was driving at one stage and I had it playing like just through the phone and, and I went, wow, like I've never actually thought about like I quite often bracket, I'd never actually thought about ISO bracketing. And like because you set your camera to bracket and it exposure brackets. Yeah. It no, doesn't it, ISO bracket. It's automatic. And yeah. I was like, and I was like, well, I have never thought about that. So I, of course I, was I the had same, to go yeah. out today and go, I'm going to put this to the test. And so so I walked away from that going. I didn't even learn that at uni. Yeah. So, and I'm like, I was oh, listening kind of listening to another one uh, a few weeks ago, and um, I forget who it was, but uh, they were actually talking about um, uh, color correction using the tones adjustment layers in Photoshop, and yep. There's multiple algorithms that you can actually choose from if you yes. hold down your alt key or your option key to select. Yes, them, which I use. Which, which I never <laughs> knew about. Hidden. I mean, yeah, the no, no. 
Yeah, I, I just yeah. never knew about them and I was like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> There's something yeah, I didn't like, know. That was like the game changer for me and and I, like I'd never used Photoshop going into uni and mm. and I can remember like, well, the joke is and, and I still have this joke with like, oh, like even like people that I teach, uh, I failed my first Photoshop assignment and that was like my kick in the ass. It was the only assignment I ever failed. And well, I had to resubmit it. And but that was the lowest mark I ever got. And then I went from failing an assignment to compositing like an hourglass. <laughs> and and I learned heaps about Photoshop. And it was in in something that I was doing there. It was like, oh, when there's a hidden panel in Photoshop that will actually help you with colour correcting your landscapes. All you have to do is hold down option and then auto yep. and and it appears. And I've been using that ever since. Yeah. So but it's it's amazing like how many people don't don't, don't know, know well, that it's there. Yeah, well and, that's the thing. There's so many little hidden bits and pieces that Oh absolutely. Uh, unless you actually uh, you know have the time or somebody shows it to you, it's it, you know yeah. it, it's amazing. I mean I one of the uh, one of my favorite sort of video, I'm I'm largely self-taught on uh, both photography but also processing uh, is the F64 Academy. I don't know if you've ever seen any of their videos, no. but he he gets really in depth and he he has a deep understanding about how the algorithms work and how the color management in photoshop works and um yeah it's just, i i just you know sit there open jawed sometimes just uh you know <laughs> looking at different ways of doing things that uh you know as as i say you know they they're kind of hidden away because they're behind a, an alt and a menu option yeah, or absolutely. a shift and a, a menu option or whatever. And unless you unless you know that magic key combination, you're never going to find it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like even with other photographers that I assist, I talk in shortcuts and then they're like, no, 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 don't tell me the shortcut. They're like, show me how to do it. And I'm like, oh, I don't know how to do it. So then I, I end up writing the this long <laughs> list of shortcuts. Yeah. So like I have I have a laugh about that. But like, yeah, like I showed a photographer, like um, I can't remember if it was Ken or someone else. I showed them that like um option thing and they were like, so why is that hidden? And I've gone, oh, I don't know. So I use it all the time. Yeah. So but I mean, it, it, it's kind of an of. obscure, yeah. The thing, the thing that that taught me is, I'm, I'm now, I haven't done it yet, but I, I'm now planning to go and, you know, hit Alt or Control or Shift or, you know, whatever, just and and tap on buttons <laughs> to see if there's something hidden behind them. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like um um I I was saying to someone the other day, I was helping them with masking and. And I'm like, oh, so if you command click your mask, it selects it with magic dots. But if you option click, it turns it to black and white. Yeah. And you can actually see how bad your masking is. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a game changer for them. And they're like, well, why isn't that? Why is that hidden? Yeah, why, <laughs> why, like, oh. why is that so obscure? Yeah. That's the yeah, thing. So, so arcane pieces that uh, you, you, you've really got to go through and be shown 
what those yeah. what those little tricks and tips are to uh, to be able to pick it up. Oh, well, I actually think the person who taught taught me about that, like now that I think about it, I think was Adam Williams. So yeah. I'd um I'd I was actually at uni, and I and Adam was a co photographer with Ken, um, in a boot camp, and and I sat at the back of the room. They were all learning how to process and. And I was at uni, I knew how to process and, and I had uni assignments and I'm compositing at the back of the room and and I didn't, I knew of Adam, but I didn't really know Adam and and I, I, I still laugh about it now. He goes, oh, what are you doing? And I've gone, oh, I'm compositing. And I've gone, oh, I'm stuck compositing. Do you know anything about compositing? I didn't know that he was a Photoshop expert at that point. And, yeah, so I had a bit of a laugh about that, but um. But yeah, I think he was the one who told me about the option, uh, yeah, auto, and yeah, and that was yeah, game changer. So I said, oh, that was the one thing that I took out of coastal exposure was all these hidden things in Photoshop. So yeah, no, it was good. Um, I've only got one more question for you, and uh, for some that have sure. been listening to uh, the podcast for a little while, they uh, they they know this is the most important question that I ask. Uh, do you like pineapple on pizza? I do, yes. So I am a big fan of Hawaiian pizza. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, and and I have to be, I'll, I'll give you another tip, you have to be working for Ken because Ken would eat pizza seven days a week and it is always ham and pineapple. So, <laughs> yeah, so so definitely if I uh, if I didn't like ham and pineapple pizza, I'd, I don't You'd think struggle. he'd yeah. allow me to work for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I do love ham and pineapple pizza. Fantastic. Well, Danny, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you uh, and, you know, it, it's been really interesting to sort of hear your journey and you know where you've come from and how you how you do what you do where can people find your work so um so I guess like the largest portion of my work is probably Instagram so so whether that's uh Danny Watson AU for uh, my landscape photography work or if they want to see a little bit of the more obscure and sometimes uh, more commercial kind of stuff, it's danny.watson.au. So um, so there I, I kind of show a, a little bit more diversity in, in my photography. So, um, but, yeah, either either one of those, it's, uh, yeah, a wide spectrum of uh, all the types of photography that I'm, that I'm into and sometimes the weird and wacky stuff. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks again, uh, Danny, and um, thanks for uh, thanks everyone for listening to Landscape Photography World. Hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work and this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon. Mm-hmm.